0: in 1987 August the 15th 1987 I say August the 15th 1987 there's there's a man called Howard Schultz who had to make a decision about what he was going to do he currently was in a good job where he was earning a salary of $75,000 a year and really enjoyed his job or he had the opportunity to pay out three point eight million dollars for a few coffee shops with a really weird name called Starbucks. So he had to make a decision on that day as to whether he was going to buy this really little-known coffee shop, and uh, there was about four of them uh, in Seattle in 1987. or well, Whether he'd stay in his good paying job and keep going, and he had what he called his What if moment. He calls it his what if moment because he said, this was my moment, if I don't seize this opportunity, if I don't step out of my comfort zone and risk it all, if I let too much time tick on or my moment will pass, I knew if I didn't take advantage of this opportunity, I would replay it in my mind for my whole life, always wondering what if. And so in this what if moment, Howard Schultz decided to chuck in his job, buy these coffee shops for $3.8 million and started a company called Starbucks and pursued his passion for coffee. And in five years time down the track in 1992, that company was valued at $275 million. Not bad investment, $3.8 million, turning into $275 million in five years. Do I have any takers on that this morning? But he had a what-if moment. He had to make a decision. Is he going to step out and take a risk and get $3.8 million worth of debt or was he going to stay comfortable in a $75,000 a year job? I, I think that they said last year they estimated that Starbucks sold four billion cups of coffee last year. And people think it's money that makes the world go round. It's No matter what you feel about Starbucks, it is a success. Now I know the coffee is average. But when you're in America, it's good because America can't do coffee, so there we go. And, and they reckon there's four billion cups of coffee last year but the thing is, is all that success, the 275 million that it was worth five years later, the four billion cups of coffee that they sold last year, all of that and every sip of Starbucks coffee will always trace it way back to Howard Schultz's what if moment. What if this is what I'm meant to do? What if this is the right thing to do? I, I want to ask you this morning, what's your what if in your world? What what gets you up in the morning? What keeps you up late at night? What breaks your heart or what makes your heart skip a beat? What puts a smile on your face or what causes you to shed a tear? Because I would like to suggest to you that the answer to all of those questions is probably something that's leading you to what your what if is. The thing that it is that God's called you to do and my prayer is that through this series that you'll find your what if that you'll find the the what if moment as Howard Schultz found in your world where you take the step and you take the risk to step out and see what God's going to do with your life and so over the next four weeks we're going to cover four ifs this week we're going to cover our if only regrets you know the if onlys You know, where you look back in life and go, if only, if only, how do we deal with our if only regrets? Second week is our as if faith. Fourth week is what if dreams. And the last week is no ifs, ands, or buts about it, courage. And we're gonna go through all and we're gonna look at the different ifs of part of our world and we're gonna kind of go through Romans chapter eight as we look through that. But if you stop and think about everything that's happened in your life, or everything that has or haven't happened, or anything that's really even happened in the world, all of it starts with an if. From the internet to iTunes is a what if moment, isn't it? What if we could do this? What if we could do that? If actually has an incredible power in our lives. They all began with an if. In fact, there are 1,174 scriptures in the Bible where most of them have a if moment in it. For example, if my people would pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven and I'd heal their land. If you bring all the ties into our storehouse, I'll look after your house. If there's a whole lot of ifs all the way through Scripture, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. There's a whole lot of power in that word if when you look through Scripture and we look for our lives. And so all that really stands between us and our current situation and possibly finding our wildest dreams come to pass is really an if. It's about whether we will step into the if or step away from the if. Are you with me this morning? As we go through this series, I really do want you to read through Romans chapter eight as much as you can. That Some scholars call Romans chapter eight the greatest chapter of the bible it's certainly one of my favorite chapters of the bible and the thing that i love about romans 8 so much is that it starts with a big bang you know just gets stuck in straight on from verse 1. therefore there is no condemnation for those that are in christ jesus what a great start yeah there's no condemnation you don't need to feel guilty or condemned when you're in christ you don't have to be like that it's a great start then it has this fairy tale finish and Verse 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither present nor in future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a great finish. Great start is you don't need to be condemned when you're in Christ. And here's the cool thing, right at the end, you discover it doesn't matter what you do, you can't separate yourself from God's love. What a great fairy tale finish. But then it has this in the middle of it, verse 28. And as we know that in all things, Christ works together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. What a great rich chapter. Boom, no condemnation. Bang, you can't be separated from God's love. And hey, just so you know, even if you've made a mistake in your life, God can work it together for good. What a great, Chapter and then there's this other part in it. There's this like subplot in it, in verse 37, where it says, "No, in all these things we are more than conquerors for Him who has loved us." But the linchpin in the whole chapter, the linchpin verse, is in verse 31, and it says, "What then? What then when we consider all that has just been said? What then?" shall we say in response to these things, if God is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, what can be against you? If God is for you in your what if moment, what is against you? Because your answer to if, The if in that scripture, if God is for us, is actually a game changer. Because if in your subconscious, you doubt that God has good intentions for you, then your doubts in your subconscious will manifest themselves in a a thousand forms of fear. If you don't really believe that God is for you and you have doubts that He's for you, it'll manifest itself in a whole lot of fears in your world. You'll be too scared to take the risk because you'll doubt that he's for you. But if you believe of all your being that God is for you, then it's a game on every single day and every single week of your life because it's like when opportunity comes in front of me, if God is for me, then who can be against me? If God is for me, then who can be against me? against me, it becomes a game changer. All of life is turned into a wonderful what if instead of if onlys. I don't know about you, but i got plenty of if onlys in my life. Is anybody here this morning got heaps of if onlys? I I think about even Trinity and I as we're we're gonna celebrate 24 years of being married this year, and and I think back to the kind of money that her and I were first earning when we first got married, and I kinda think to myself, if only we didn't go out for dinner every night of the week. Go to the movies three times a weekend. Have weekends away whenever we felt. If only we saved some of that money, where would we be? You know, you all have if-onlys. But the cool thing is, is that I think God wants to turn our if-onlys into what-ifs. And so how do we turn those if-onlys, those regrets, into what-ifs? And a what-if means this, what if this really happens? What if this is a God thing? What could this look like? What could this be? What if has an excitement to it, it has a future to it. it if only always has a past regret, regret, but what if has an incredible future? They did a survey of people over the age of 60 in New Zealand a long, long time ago, probably about 20 years ago. And they asked if you could do life over again, what would you do differently? And they had these three answers. First thing is, is they would risk more. The second thing is is we would reflect more. I like that because it's not just all risk, but it's also reflecting. And then the third one is we would do more things that live on after we die. We would do more things that live on after we die. When they asked these people over six years of age, those were the three regrets that they had in life. Is they didn't risk enough, they didn't reflect enough, and they didn't do enough things that lived on after they'd gone. What a cool, incredible thing to see that and people reflecting on their lives, and I know over 60 isn't old, but it's still you live the decent part of your world. You live the decent part of your life and your reflection is, man, I wish I risked wish I more. I wish I reflected more and I wish I did things that lived on after me, that I left a legacy. You know, one of the saddest scriptures in regards to a person in the Bible is in Jeremiah forty-six, seventeen. And it says this, it says, there they will exclaim, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is only a loud noise. He has missed his opportunity. He has missed his opportunity. He's just a loud noise. You see, Pharaoh at that time had so much potential. He had so much power as king of the most advanced nation in the world at the time, And yet in history, all he's known is the guy with a whole lot of hot air and no substance. The guy that was just a whole lot of talk, but nothing ever happened. A guy that missed his opportunity, missed his moment. And you may think that God's kind of cruel that you have this one moment in life and if you miss it, it's all over. But I don't believe that what the scripture is saying because Pharaoh ruled for 19 years. I don't think he had missed one opportunity or one moment, I think he missed a dozen of opportunities in a dozen moments. Because I don't know about you, but I know with God, God always gives me more than one opportunity to do what it is that He's asking me to do. He never just, it's, His will for you is not a pinhead, and if you miss it, it's all over. God's not like that. Remember, He's for you, not against you. That, that kind of God that only gives you one chance and then writes you off is a God that I don't want to follow. He's the God of the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th chance. That's why Proverbs says, "Though a righteous man falls down seven times, he gets up again. Because God is always there for you, and he never gives up on you. And so Pharaoh, even though it says here that he missed his opportunity, I would suggest to you that he missed opportunity after opportunity after opportunity because he was just full of a whole lot of hot air, a whole lot of talk, but not much action. What a horrible thing to be remembered for that at the end of your life that that's all people remembered you for was that you were just all talk but no action. At the end of your life, your greatest regrets will not be the things that you did do that you wish you hadn't. Let me say that again. This is a bit of a tongue twister. At the end of your life, your greatest regrets will not be the things you did do that you wish you hadn't but the things you didn't do that you wish you did. See, my greatest regrets are not actually the things that I've done that I wish I hadn't done. My greatest regrets are the things that I wish I had done that I didn't do. You see, we regret inactions more than actions. We regret our inability to act more than our ability to act. But the crazy thing is, really, inaction is action. It's just the same as indecision is a decision. If you don't, you either make a decision or you don't, but it's still a decision. You either act or you don't, but it's still an action. And the things that I think that we regret the most in life are the things that we didn't do that we wish we did. Not the things that I have done that I wish I didn't do, because God can forgive me of all that, It's the stuff that I didn't do that I wish I did. You see, there's two types of sin uh, when it comes to sin. One is the sin of commission and one is the sin of omission. I just want to teach you a little bit this morning to hopefully help you because I believe that most of our if-only regrets stop us from stepping into our what-ifs because our if-only regrets are about things that we have done or things that we wish we had done that we didn't do. And I want to show you this morning how God can redeem us of all of that because sin comes in two ways. There's a sin of commission and a sin of omission. Sin of commission is doing something you shouldn't have done. It's basically you do something that you know you shouldn't have done. You commissioned it. You went through with it even though you knew you shouldn't have done with it. A sin of omission, on the other hand, is not doing something that you know you should have done. So sin, commission, a sin that is commissioned that you do is something that you do on purpose, even though you know you shouldn't do it. But omission is a different kind of sin, and that is that you don't do something that you know you should have done. Two of them have the same role in our worlds. We focus usually in our lives on the sins of commission, because we operate by subtraction when it comes to sin. You know, don't do this and don't do that, and then you'll be okay. So we kind of work out what we shouldn't do or what we sh- should do or what we shouldn't. We, we subtract it from that, and as long as I don't purposely do those things I'm not meant to do, then I'm okay. But what about when you don't do what you know you're meant to do? I mean, I, I know I'm meant to... I know I'm not meant to cheat on my wife, so if I don't do that, I'm okay. But what about the stuff that you know that you're meant to do that you don't do? That's called a sin of omission. And the problem with operating in such a way of saying, I know what it is that I'm not meant to do, and as long as I don't do the things that I know I'm not meant to do, then I'm okay. The problem with that is this, is that you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. You can live your whole life, and we know that with the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said to him, I have kept the law, I have done everything that you told me to do. Jesus never said to him, no you hadn't, but then he turns around and says, "Um, oh why don't you go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor? And the rich young ruler walks away from him because he can't do that. You see, he could do the sins of commission keep the rules, but he had a set of omission. He was hoarding his money upon himself instead of helping the poor and the needy. You see, you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right because righteousness is not about doing something, is not about not doing something wrong. Righteousness is not about living a life where you don't do something wrong. Righteousness is about doing something right. Righteousness is not about living a life where you never do anything wrong. Righteousness is about living a life where you do what's right. What's right. It's not just about resisting temptation. It's about doing something with your life. It's faithfulness it's, 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 it's not just holding on to the thought, but going after the God-ordained risks, the God-ordained opportunities. It's about pursuing God-ordained dreams. At the end of the day, it's the sins of omission that grieve the heart of Father God the most. The things that we know that we should do, but we don't do, we the things that He's called us to do, the risks that He's asked us to take, but we don't take them, those are the ones that we regret. Those become the if only, if only I did that, if only I did this, they become the ones that we regret the most. Because the sin that I do, that I know I shouldn't do, but I do do, that's easy, I can just go to God and ask for forgiveness for that. And you can ask God for forgiveness for the omission of sins as well, but you can't go back and change the opportunity. You can't go back in time. Oh, if only 10 years ago, you can't do that. And I think that's why we live with so much regret because, because when I do something I know I shouldn't do, I can get forgiveness for that in the moment and I can get forgiveness for even not doing the things that I know I should have done, but I can't go back 10 years ago and change my decision. And so it becomes a regret. You know, all the would-ofs and the could-ofs and the should-ofs are the things that we regret the most. Why? Because nobody knows our God-given potential more than God who gave it to us in the first place. And it always blows me away when I understand my weaknesses and my faults and who I am. Like, you guys don't really know me the way that Trinity knows me or the way that Madison knows me or the way that Seth knows me. You You don't really see that side of me. You get a false impression of what I'm really like but they see the real me, and when I understand my faults and my failings and my insecurities and my stuff, but then still understand that God wants me to stand up here every Sunday and speak to you and help your life be transformed, it makes me, I I feel half the time that I shouldn't be up here. Because of what I have done. Are you hearing me this morning? But you know that nobody knows the potential of your life or my life more than God does. And nobody knows the decisions you're going to make in your life like God does. And God chooses you to do what He's asked you to do in spite of the fact that He knows the decisions you're going to make. He knows the sins of commission and the sins of omission that you're gonna make in your life And yet he still calls you, what if? What if we did this? What if we did that? What if we? You see, potential is God's gift to us. Making the most of our gift, making the most of our potential is our gift to God. You see, God gives us potential. He gives us potential to change the world. That's the gift that he gives us. But the gift that we give back to God is making the most of our potential. It's the sins of omission that causes us our greatest regrets. Now I say all that to say this because it's the, if, it's the if onlys that we're talking about here. And I believe that God wants to turn if onlys into what ifs. But I think we have to understand something first and foremost, which Romans starts with in chapter eight, verse one, where it says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If we don't understand this scripture, then we can't claim that God can work all things together for good for those who love Him and accord according to His purpose. Because the cool thing about God is this, my if only's become what if's in verse 28. My, my if only regrets, the things that I didn't do that I wish I had done, my Bible says, hey, if you stay on track with him, even those things, he can work them all out for good. You, you, you think that you're blowing it, but if you'll stick with me, if you can understand there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, if you can understand what true forgiveness really is, and understand that God won't ever let you down, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, even before you even lived one, then your if only's then only become what ifs. Because instead of regret for what I haven't done, I'm now looking forward to the future and going what, what if? What if He takes that situation and turns it for good? I'm I'm looking for the opportunity that my regrets can become what ifs, that my if if onlys can become what ifs, that God can change the, the, the mistakes that I've made and used it to propel somebody else forward or to propel a situation forward, that my past can actually heal somebody now because I've come through that and now that horrendous life that I came through and the sexual abuse that I suffered and the abuse from my alcoholic father that I suffered or whatever I now understand that those don't have to be if-onlys. If only I lived in a Christian family. If only I had a dad like my friend's dad. If only I understand that when God gets hold of my if-onlys and I submit my if-onlys to Him, then they become what-ifs. What if God uses the testimony of me growing up in a home with an alcoholic father so I can help others that grow up in a home with an alcoholic father to find Jesus and to find healing and to find deliverance and define meaning in life. What if the sexual abuse I went through God takes the if only out of that situation and turns it into a what if and I'm able to see other people healed and delivered and set free from the abuse that they're suffering. But if only can only become what if when we understand what Romans 8.1 really means. Therefore there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Your sin is not only forgiven, but it is forgotten. It is forgotten. The Bible says that Jesus throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. You sin today, you ask for forgiveness today, and then tomorrow you ask for forgiveness again, and he says, I don't know what you're talking about. The minute you ask for forgiveness, he forgives you of your sin. He puts it into the sea of forgetfulness. To him, it didn't happen. Are you with me this morning? We drag up the stuff that we've done and I think God sits there going, what are you talking about? I don't understand. What do you mean six weeks ago? I don't understand what you're talking about. Because Six weeks ago, you asked him to forgive you. It's gone. It's not in his register anymore. He doesn't see your sin anymore, he sees Jesus. Are you with me this morning? See, it's much harder to forgive ourselves and to forget that we tend to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember, yes? We tend to remember the sins that we've asked God to forgive us for we tend to remember those things and we're meant to forget those and then we forget that Jesus has set us free from that sin. And that's the thing that we need to remember. Yes? I thought I would have got a better response, but okay. Let me put it this way, and this might help you a little bit. Condemnation is feeling guilty over confessed sin. Conviction is feeling guilty over unconfessed sin. See, conviction is not the same as condemnation. Condemnation comes to condemn you about sin you've already confessed of. You're already forgiven of it. That's why the enemy's into condemnation, because he can't condemn you for your future, he just wants to condemn you for your past. But conviction, conviction is a holy thing. Conviction is what the Holy Spirit does, and conviction is when He shows you something in your world that needs to change it, you didn't even realize you did. So it's not condemnation. It's like yesterday morning at our house, um, Trinity was talking to me about something, and she asked me a question, and I snapped at her. And uh, I didn't need Trinity to tell me, that I just made a mistake. First of all, I saw her face. Second of all, I saw Madison's face. And then I had the Holy Spirit go, you better say something real quick, boy. Or well, this day's gonna go real bad. You know, I, I didn't mean to snap, but I did snap. Conviction said to me, you snapped. So conviction then says, I'm sorry I snapped. All is forgiven and the day moves on. You see, conviction doesn't leave you in guilt. Conviction just shows you where you've gone wrong and then you ask for forgiveness and then the guilt's no longer there anymore because forgiveness has come. Condemnation would come along and say, well, you shouldn't have spoken to her like that. And and, and now... What happens is, you know the reason why you had to cook dinner last night? is because of what you said to her yesterday. And she's making you pay for it. And she's going to punish you. And and if you think that you're going to get a twinkle from her eye tonight, you've got another thing coming. Because you did that to her this morning. Well, no. That's how condemnation works. But conviction kicks in and says, I'm sorry. And then forgiveness is done. And then it's done. Oh, it's gone a little bit quiet here because there are some people... Some people in their marriages that think that once somebody said sorry, that you don't let it go. You hold on to it into your back pocket for when they do it the next time. And I can pull out the report card. Three weeks in a row now you've done that. No, 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 no. Jesus doesn't operate like that. Jesus doesn't remember the first three weeks because you've asked for him to forgive you. Conviction is good. Condemnation is bad. We need to tune into the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit and we need to tune out the condemning voice of the enemy. The voice of condemnation is meant to discourage and disillusion you because it will. It'll tell you, you can't do that. You can't be what God's called you to be. It keeps reminding you of stuff that God has forgiven you of and you've got to turn and say, no, 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 my sins are nailed to the cross. My sins aren't nailed to me. My sins are nailed to the cross. My sin, Jesus says that he took on the sin of the world upon himself. My sins aren't on me. The sins are on him, nailed to the cross. The key to overcoming Our only regrets is the gospel in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the deal. The moment you confess your sin, our sin debt is transferred to Jesus and our debt is paid in full. Our sin no longer exists once we confess, once we ask for forgiveness. But here's the cool part. There's a second part to the transaction that as soon as your sin is forgiven and your debt is paid, it says that all of his righteousness gets credited to your account. And then God says, now we're even. Now we're even. I'll take your sin, you can have my righteousness and we're all good now. We're even now. Come on, if you don't understand God's forgiveness, if you don't understand how this works, you'll live in condemnation because you'll live your whole life in in, if-onlys because I've done this in my past and I've done that in my past and I've done this in my past and God goes, what do you mean? I've got that. That's my debt. I paid it in full. The only thing you carry around now is the righteousness that I exchanged for that. Come on you got to stop beating yourself up, stop putting yourself down, stop the enemy by saying, if only you had been a good kid, if only you had done this, if only, no, 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 no. I don't have to worry about my if only's because the Bible says that he became sin for me, so I don't have to, but he then gave me his righteousness that I can be that. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Brand new. New you. New nature. New attitudes. New everything. You're not a renovated version. You're not somebody that's had you know, a, a facelift or a tummy tuck in the spiritual world. When you give your life to Christ, you are New. New. The old is gone. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. It no longer exists. Condemnation will try and drag it out of the sea. Condemnation will take you fishing. But God says no, no. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And when you really understand His forgiveness, then of course you know that nothing can separate you from His love. Come on, friend. Salvation completely clears our history. It's no longer there, you're new, you're brand spanking new. And I just wanna finish on this this morning, Lamentations three twenty-two to 23, I wanna help you to understand how this really works in your life. It says this in the message version, God's loyal love couldn't have run out. I love that. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. It's impossible, how could it run out? His mercies couldn't have dried up. They created new every morning. How great is your faithfulness. I love that uh, uh, hymn. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. What a great hymn, what a great thing. His love can't have run out. His mercies can't have dried up. They're new every single morning. Great is His faithfulness. The word new there in the Hebrew is the word hadas. And it doesn't mean reset. It doesn't mean like you get a full tank of mercies every day. And I managed to work my way through down to a quarter of a tank. Praise God, I got a quarter of a tank left. But when I get up in the morning, God's just filled it back up again for me and I got a full tank again. woo And it's not, it's, I gotta, I gotta share this with you, because when I, when I realized this, it kind of blew me away. It, it means new as in consistently different, never been experienced before. In other words, let me put it this way, Today's mercies are different than yesterday's mercies and they're different than tomorrow's mercies because they're new, different mercies every single day. Why? Why is that? Because the sin you do today is not the sin you're gonna do tomorrow or next week. And so God tailor makes mercies every single day for you relative to what you're gonna go through every single day. Come on, like get this on the inside of you and understand something. It's a new strain of mercy every single day, never have you had that mercy before and never will you have that mercy again. Why, because you didn't sin today the way that you're gonna sin tomorrow. I've lived 16,180 days so far of my life and I have had 16,180 different mercies in my life because they are new every single day. The only way that I can kind of get you to comprehend this is that the, the commentaries around the scripture says this, it's like snowflakes. There's only ever one. It's There's never two snowflakes the same. They're always different. There's never been two snowflakes in the whole entire universe and all the time that we've existed. Every single snowflake is completely different to the other. And the commentary says this, that His mercies <laughs> (laughs) are like snowflakes. They are different every single day. You would never get the same ones in another day or in two weeks as God just makes new ones every single day. Oh, but you don't understand. If only I hadn't done this and that in my past. No, you don't understand. There's a new mercy for that. There's a new mercy for tomorrow. There's a new mercy for next week. They're never the same. They're never the same. And that's why That's why there's no condemnation. Because when you're in Jesus, no matter what sin you make of commission or omission, the mercy is tailor-made every day, every day. So then my if-onlys don't have to be if-onlys, they can be what-ifs. What if, now that I'm forgiven, now that I've experienced His mercy. What if? What if? What if? Because I believe through confession and His mercy that He leverages our if-onlys into what-ifs. And you've got to understand His mercy is not getting what you deserve just like grace is getting what you don't deserve. See, grace says I'll give you salvation, you don't deserve it, but I'll give it to you. And mercy says, you're not going to get the punishment that you deserve because I've created a new mercy for you today. It's like snowflakes, never the same. And I want to tell you this morning that the only regrets you will ever have in life are the regrets you don't give to God. Are The regrets that you don't give to God where you think the mistakes that you have made are too great for his mercy. God is just so flippant amazing that he knows you and I so well that he decided all the way back and lamentations in Solomon's life that I'm going to provide every single day for Heather a new mercy that's different than yesterday's. And it's not going to be the same as next week because I know what Heather goes through every single day of life. This is not me. I don't know. But God does. The Bible says that He knows every single day you're going to live before you lived one. Before you're a twinkle in your daddy's eye, He knew the life that you're gonna live. And then he turned around and he said, hey, here's something really, really cool. They're not always gonna get it right and they're gonna make mistakes and they're gonna sin. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna create new mercies for them every single day. So they don't have to worry about whether I can or will forgive them. I'm just gonna give them fresh mercy, tailor-made to that day for them. There's no carryover mercies in the kingdom of God. It's just brand new ones. It's not like a mobile phone company where you try and save your minutes so you can carry them over into the next month in case you need more. You don't have to save his mercy in case you need more for tomorrow. He said, no, 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 no. don't worry about that. I'll just give you new ones. New ones, brand spanking new, tailor-made. So you can walk into your world and every time God gives you an opportunity or presents something before you, then your response can be, What if, what if I take this step right now and pursue this God-ordained moment? What if, you don't have to go if only because mercy's covered the if only, tailor-made, tailor-made mercy for your if only so that you can always step into your what ifs. Or just close your eyes just for a moment this morning. I I hope that I have communicated